for the rest of us. It may seem a great shock, but I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of 1 Peter. As we continue working through this wonderful letter of the Apostle Peter. Our text this morning is chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord that is authoritative, sufficient, and true. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it? If, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would guide us today by your word that we would know you better, that we would know your Son in a deeper way, and that your Spirit would convict us of sin and encourage us to love and good deeds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had the opportunity when speaking with someone about their job, could be working at a McDonald's as a teenager, It could be being the CEO of a company. And the conversation goes on and you begin to describe to each other all the various bad breaks you've had at work. All of the unfortunate things that just have happened at work. Maybe there's a different sense in which you think about work. And that is that you've had someone come to your house, maybe to do some plumbing, maybe some electrical work, maybe to be your accountant or your lawyer, maybe to trim your bushes. And they hand you their business card and prominently displayed is a Bible verse and a big fish. And then you get the bill and you realize it's twice what normally you'd be charged. And you go out and you look at the work and... It's not done properly. And you're a bit disappointed because you had a certain expectation based on what was laid out in front of you. Perhaps it's the context in which you've been hurt in your community or in a church when the supposedly Christian businessman treats you harshly or takes advantage of you. There's a saying, especially in the South, but it's true in the North, That church is church, but business is business. All of these things describe the tension that we have in dealing with what's become in our day and age a dichotomy. That's, kids, that's a sharp difference, right hand and left hand, between spirituality, Christianity, and church, and work, employment, and money, on the other hand. We put each of them in separate boxes and hope they don't touch. Kind of like the way you might do with food on your plate at dinner when there's 
You don't want the spaghetti to get sauce into the vegetables on your plate. But you see, the Bible really doesn't know anything about that. The Bible doesn't know anything about part-time believers. Part-time children of God. The Bible calls us to be Christians, to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ in every area of our life, including work. And so Peter now begins to address that issue before us here in chapter 2. He tells us what our duties are at work, what our responsibilities are, and yes, what our blessings are as well. So may we have ears to hear what Peter says about work. Three things this morning. The first is we'll see that thinking about work involves gospel obedience. Gospel obedience. And then secondly, it involves not just gospel obedience, but gospel responsibility. Gospel responsibility. And that obedience and responsibility should lead us to a gospel vision of work. To see how the gospel goes forward in our work. Let's look then first at the obedience, the gospel obedience that Peter calls us to. Peter begins in what I hope you're realizing is typical fashion for him. He doesn't mince words. Peter was never an attorney. He was never a politician. You can tell he was a man who worked with his hands. He didn't have time to waste. He comes right out and he says, Servants, be subject to your masters. He doesn't couch it. He doesn't work it out. He simply comes right forward and tells us the command of God. The first thing that I want you to see is that this command, this called obedience, comes in a context. The situation that we are faced with here is a broader one. We saw it last week. We'll see it again in weeks to come, that all of these passages are what we might call specific examples of the general command in verses 11 and 12 to have our conduct honorable before a watching world so that the world will see us as believers as we act and will see the gospel. Peter's just described it in the context of government, Now he's going to describe it in the context of employment. And then in a few weeks to come, he's going to describe it in the context of the family. This shouldn't surprise us. Paul does exactly the same thing at the end of Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6 and in Colossians 3. These things go together. Our relationship to the state, our relationship to work, and our relationship to the family. Why is this? Because the point that we need to get across to ourselves is that Christianity is a whole life. Every aspect of our life is touched by the Word of God and the Gospel. Every aspect of our life is in need of redemption. And so we need to be reminded of Gospel opportunities in work. And we need to also be reminded that perish the thought, as hard as we work, we are going to mess up. We're going to have difficult relationships with those at work. Our sin doesn't keep itself within the four walls of our home. It spills over into work. And praise be to God that the Lord Jesus Christ is in our work as well. Peter, in describing this situation, it's in the context of being honorable, our honorable conduct, our conduct 
in all of our life. But you see, there's a pastoral dimension to his command here. It's very straightforward. He just says simply, servants, be subject. There is no qualifier. Have you ever talked to someone and before they can give you the meat of the sentence, qualifiers pile up? Perhaps you've done that. I find myself doing that too when you're in a delicate situation and you want to tell someone something. It's those, if we were writing it, phrases in parentheses and with commas setting them off, delaying when we get to the delivering the punch. Not so Peter. He gives us a straightforward command with no coloring to it, no change to it. And this is a real challenge to us, I think. Because straightforward commands are often the most difficult to obey, aren't they? When we have no wiggle room. When we can't say to ourselves, well, this doesn't exactly apply here. Or, well, my situation's a little different. When it comes at us full bore, we have nowhere to hide. Nowhere to turn. We're challenged. This is the situation that Peter is putting his congregation in. And us in. But... Once we've seen the situation, we need to see what Peter's actually saying. And what he's talking about now is the submission that we owe to our employers. He says, be subject to your masters with all respect. The first thing he's doing is repeating what he said in verse 13. He's telling us that we are to be under the authority of another. That's what be subject means. Especially in work, we think oftentimes that what that means is simply doing what someone else says. I'm being subject to my employer because he asked me to do uh, this, and I did it. He asked me to prepare that report, and I prepared it. He asked me to make that sales call, and I've done it. But perhaps an illustration would help us to think about what submission really is. Maybe you've had this experience. I know I have. You're perhaps sitting at the dinner table. Uh, and one of your children has decided that they're going to stand up on their chair. And you say to them, would you please sit down? No. I said to you, sit down, or there's going to be consequences. No. Maybe you take them off and discipline them and bring them back, and they stand up, and you say, would you please sit down? No. And then you get to the point where you've seen discipline doesn't work, that perhaps what you do if the child is small enough is you take them by the shoulders and you sit them down. And they're sitting. The child looks up at you, defiant look on his or her face, and says, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. (laughs) That's not submission, is it? You're doing what has been told, but it's in a defiant and rebellious attitude. But yet we think that's acceptable to us in employment, don't we? We prepare the report, and then after we have done that, we run the boss down all day long. How stupid that report is, and how we shouldn't have had to do it, and how worthless it was to all of our coworkers. And we think that's submission. But there we're not acting any different than the child. You see, Peter calls us to be under authority, to be subject. And this 
being under authority works itself out practically in obedience. We are to be subject to our masters with all respect. This is a willful obedience. It's something that we choose to do. It is a heartfelt obedience. We are to look to our masters, hear our employers, and we are to be subject to them with fervency, with, with a desire to do what they have called us to do. This call is the same call that we are called to love one another fervently. We're called to do this with a heartfelt obedience. As fervently as we are called to love one another as Christians, we are called to be obedient and to be subject, to be subject, excuse me, to our masters. It's also an obedience that is sincere. It's not duplicitous. It's not hypocritical. We know this not only from this passage, but that as we look at Paul's words on much the same matter in Colossians chapter 3, Paul has this to say in Colossians 3 and verse 22. He calls upon us to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, pleasing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You see, God wants our submission to authorities not in a pretend way, but in a real way. Not as eye service, not as men pleasers, but as those who are subject to Him. Get used to this advice from Peter. He's told you this in government. He's telling it to you now at work. He's going to tell you wives and you husbands that he doesn't want pretending. You can keep it. He wants the reality. He wants us to act in accordance as ones who see him looking over us. We are to be in subject. We are to be in submission. We are to be subject to to our employers, to our masters, with an eye toward God. We are to do this with all respect Peter says, as those who have been placed in authority over us, showing honor, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, to our masters. Because this is honoring to God. We work as to the Lord, Paul says in Ephesians 6. Why is this? It's because when we think we can optionally obey this command given our circumstances. What we are really saying is it's God's fault for putting us in the circumstances that we are. Well, I know Bob can obey and be subject to his his employer, but I can't because God doesn't know what he's doing. He's given me this boss who's just, he won't listen to anything. Or he's put me in a situation where I just, I don't have any choice. And when we begin to really look at it hard and think that the Lord doesn't put us in a place where the only option we have is sin, things take on a different light. Well, you may be saying to yourself all the while, well, this is good advice, Fred, but the text really does say servants and masters. And I'm not a slave. I'm an employer. I make a good wage. And I think the application here is directly to the employer-employee relationship. Why? The first thing we need to think about is what did it mean to be a servant in the Roman world? When we think of servants and slaves, there is a certain image that comes to our mind. 
of backbreaking work in a cotton field, of Ben-Hur and galley slaves, of whips and of abuse and of all sorts of horrors that are vis- visited upon people. But you see, that really wasn't the case in the Roman world, in the world in which Peter is speaking. The irony here is, is that we need to have our view of servants corrected. Do you know who some of the wealthiest people in the Roman Empire were? Servants. You stop and you think to yourself, wait a minute, servants? Wealthy? Yes. Do you know why? It's because if you were a noble, a senator from an important family, the last thing that you would be caught doing would be banking or investing or running a company that's so beneath you. If you were even a freedman, you might be tied to a piece of land. It could be big, it could be small, it would be in your family for generations, and that's what you would do. But if you were a servant, you were free to take any economic measures that you wanted, and your master would encourage it. He would want you to be a a successful investor, a banker, the equivalent of a Wall Street tycoon, because he would get some of the proceeds from that, and you would become wealthy. And servants would become wealthy often enough to buy their freedom back from their masters. They were the banking class of the day. They were the entrepreneurs. It's a very different view than we have. They were, if I could put it a bit like those of us that are employed. We might want to think a little bit differently about our own employment. When was the last time when you were at work and your employer said, you know, what I really need you to do is I really need you to prepare this analysis of this product. And you said, you know, I don't really feel like doing that today. That's going to cut into my five-hour lunch, and then I was going to go play golf. So, you know, maybe tomorrow, today's not your day, tomorrow doesn't look good either. Right? How many of you have said that? I'm guessing the only ones of you that have said that have then followed up with a phone call to your spouse that said, guess I'll have some free time on my hands. I've just been fired. How many of you have even had the experience of being able to do things your own way? Do you? Do you think when Daryl travels and goes on various places, he can make up his own design and decide to, to train people however he wants? Do you think Duke just decides, I think I'll work on the planes this way today? Because that feels good to me. No. Do we think Mary can just decide to write her own curriculum and teach the kids whatever she wants? No. You not only have to do your job, you have to do it the way in which your employer tells you. Not so different from a servant, is it? Especially as we pull back from the idea of servants being demeaned and beaten. If we think of them as those who are under authority and are compensated for it. Now, I'm not just pulling this out of the air. I would be remiss if I didn't remind you that our Westminster Standards make the exact same connection. In Westminster Larger Catechism 127, in speaking of the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, it speaks of those who are under authority obeying those who are over authority. And that catechism question, and quite frankly the Bible in this passage to come and in Colossians 3 and in Ephesians 6 makes a further application You may be sitting there right now thinking, 
I don't have a job yet. I'm good to go. I'm 14. I'm 12. I'm 8. This doesn't apply to me. This applies not only in the employer-employee relationship, but in the parent-child relationship. What Peter is saying to you children is, you don't just get to pick and choose when you get to obey. You don't get to sit and make a calculus of whether mom and dad have thought about this well. You are under authority. We are called to be subject here. That's a modern application of this. That's what's going on here. That's the obedience that we are called to do, to be subject, to be in obedience, under authority to masters. Well, I've said to you before that I, I think Peter makes a wonderful pastor, and one of the reasons that he does is he anticipates objections, and he goes right to them. You may say, well, that's a good command, Peter. That's well and good. 99 out of 100 people, but, you know, not my master. Peter, you don't know my boss. You don't know how difficult he is. You don't know how harsh she is. You don't know. It's impossible for me to do this. You think, Peter, you can almost see as there's rustling in the congregation, Peter holding up his hand and saying, now wait a minute, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Ouch! Peter, that escape hatch just slammed shut on you. And it gets worse. Because you see, Peter sets up an opposite here. It's good and gentle, and then the implication is bad and harsh. You see, this word for unjust doesn't just mean those who make decisions that are not equitable. This word here for unjust is the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about the crooked and perverse generation. That's difficult, isn't it? Be subject to your master, even the crooked and perverse. So you can't say, well, I'd love to be subject to my employer, but I know he cheats on his taxes, so he doesn't deserve my respect, my honesty. No, Peter doesn't allow that. You may say, well... Maybe my master, but listen, you don't know my situation. Not in my situation. My situation is hard. There are consequences that are going to happen if I, if I have to be subject. It's going to really come at me. You don't know what's going to happen to me, Peter. That may all be well and good for you, but it's going to really affect me. What does Peter say? For what credit is it if when you sin and you are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, and again in verse 19, if you endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. Peter's facing the cold hard facts. He's saying, you know, you may suffer in being under authority. And you may suffer unjustly. But you see, that is an opportunity to glorify God. It's an opportunity to show God's glory in the midst of these situations. This command is not just for a convenient place and a convenient time. It's a command that comes to us at all times. Well, you may say, well, okay, maybe my master, okay, maybe in my situation. But listen, this is not my responsibility here. I need to be 
obedient to God. But you see, Peter brings that up too. He says at the end of verse 20, This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's like this. What Peter is saying here is, in being in subjection to your employer, your ultimate submission here is to God. And you are showing that you are being subject to God by submitting to your employer. By not grumbling. By not complaining. By not standing on the inside. Just like with government. When people look at you and they say, why doesn't he complain all day long? He's like one of the seven dwarfs whistling while he works. Doesn't he know this company is run horribly? And the answer is, it's because I'm being obedient to God's command. God has given me that command. God has told me of this authority. And at the same time, it's a testimony that we have to the power and authority of God. You remember this verse? It's applicable at the office as well as in the home. That God will never give us a temptation except for that in which he provides a way of escape. In 1 Corinthians 10. Paul put that into practice. He not only said it, he lived it. In in 2 Timothy 3, he says, I ran into all sorts of difficulties, all sorts of trials, all sorts of sufferings, and through them the Lord delivered me from all of them. Right? This is what we are called to do, to be responsible to God, and that calls us to be subject to our employers. Now, the same principle that we talked about last week with government applies to a job. Your employer may come up to you and say, I need you to um, sign this legal document that says that I was in the office all day Wednesday. And you say, but you weren't. I checked. I I left you five voicemails. I went by your office. And he says, I don't care about that. I'm giving you a direct order. Sign this paper that says I was here on Wednesday. There's a situation just like with the government. We're called to either obey God or obey man. And the call is to be subject ultimately to God. But the difference is what Peter says is, in these situations, you may have to take your lumps for being in proper authority. He acknowledges it. He says, you may suffer, you may have pain, you may have sorrow, but the Lord will ultimately deliver you because it is what he has called you to do. He has called you to be obedient. That is your responsibility. Those who are in authority over us are always in mediating authority. They're in authority over us because God has placed them in authority over us. And just like the government cannot say, well, because God's put me in authority over you, I tell you to disobey God. In the same way, your employer can't call you to do that either. He can't ask you to cheat or lie or steal. He can't. Because you're in proper subjection to him, which involves being in subjection to God. Well, why would we do this? The one... And primary reason that could be before us would be because God says so. God said it, therefore it's true, and I'll do it. And if we are honest about ourselves, that's the level in which we operate with 
four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds. We don't have time to go into all the whys and the wherefores. There's a good reason for what we're saying. Do this because we told you so, and it's the right thing to do. But as we grow, there's an interesting thing that happens. Because I told you so tends to not be a conversation stopper. It tends to be a conversation starter, right? It's part of the, the, the strain of our kids growing up. The incessant why can't be stopped with, because I said so. And if we're honest, that's true for us too as adults. And so Peter deals with that with us, and he tells us why we're getting this command. He tells us that we need to have a gospel vision in our employment. Why should we be subject to our masters? Why should we be under the authority of those who are over us at work? The first reason is because others see your good works. Notice what Peter says here in verse 20. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure... This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. There's an implication here that we are doing good works. That's that word that Peter uses, do good. He's used it before, he's going to use it again. When you are doing the right thing, when you are obeying, when you are honoring God, when you are following His law, others are going to see it. And Peter implies that in the midst of this broken world, that others are going to look and say, that's good. They're suffering unjustly. You see, there's remnants of conscience within us. We have God's moral law in us, all of us, even those who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when others see injustice, even if they don't want to admit it, even if they want to push it down, even if they want to lie about it, it affects them. And so part of the reason we're called to be under authority is that others are watching us. And it affects their lives as well. There's an old story. Uh, It may be apocryphal. I haven't run across it in any Roman literature. Maybe you've heard it. But it's a story of some legionnaires in Germany. And in the midst of the winter, these legionnaires were found to have converted to Christianity. And this did not sit well with their commander. And so he asked them to recant, and they could not. And he threatened them with death, lest they recant. And they said they would not. And so what he did was he stripped them naked and sent them off on the middle of a frozen lake. And they stood out on the lake and sang. And after some period of time, One of them fell silent. Where there were ten, now there were nine. And yet the nine continued to sing. And this circumstance, this unjust suffering, this joy in the midst of pain, so affected the commander that he stripped off his own clothes and went to become the tenth new man on the lake. His heart was changed for Christ by the actions of Christians. Now, you may never be called at the office to give your life. You may never even, in Houston, be called to be cold. But I will say this. 
that you will be called, whether you are a homemaker or a secretary or an executive or a fry man or lady at McDonald's, you will be called upon to act in a way that others can see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in your actions. Do not kid yourself. Do not let the evil one whisper in your ear, no one's looking, no one's affected, no one cares. When you feel that way, you say to him, you are a liar and you are the father of lies. My Lord tells me to obey and others will see my good works and they will, what does Peter say, glorify God in the day of visitation. Puts a little bit of a different spin on work, doesn't it? Maybe it gives you a little bit of an extra kick in your step Monday morning. But there's another reason behind this. It's not just so they might see our good works. Being at work is an opportunity for others to see your heart. You see, we don't have to reveal our hearts in an Oprah-like way by crying on TV and showing others how affected we are. Others can see our hearts most clearly by the way in which we react, especially the way in which we react to difficulty, and especially the way in which we react to unjust difficulty. You see, God puts us in these situations. He is sovereign. And if you've ever wondered, why has God allowed me to have this illness? Why did God put this boss over me? Why does he ride around in the car with me? Why does he give me orders? Why does he tell me what to do? It's because God is providing you an opportunity to show your heart to others. To show them what you're really made of. You see, God sometimes does this to put us in a position where we are most vulnerable and open to others to see. Think about it. When are you most open, honest, least able to put up a front? It's when times are really hard, isn't it? Not easy to put up a front when things are falling down all around you. You can't. You may even regret how far you let down your guard. But see, God does that on purpose to us. He makes us let down our guard so that others will see our hearts and see what he has done. How he has changed us. But a final thing that Peter has to say here is glorious. It's not just about how our actions at work affect others. How others see our good deeds. How others see our hearts. There is an effect here in submission and in obedience that affects us. And it's because not only do others see our good works, not only do others see our hearts, but that is the time when we see the Lord in the midst of challenges and difficulties. Look at what Peter says here. He says that this, we are to be subject to our masters with all respect. For this is a gracious thing, verse 19, when what? Mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. You see, in the midst of all these difficulties, that is when the Lord brings himself to bear on our own lives. 
We are conscious of God. We are mindful of Him. We think about His purposes. We think, why is this happening? And we have to think beyond ourselves because it doesn't seem like anything good is happening to us. And it drives us to a greater good. It drives us to see God's purpose in all these things. Notice, Peter doesn't just say it once. He says it twice at the end of verse 20. He says, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. R.C. Sproul has done a good job in in bringing back to our remembrance and minds a wonderful Latin phrase. You may have heard it if you listen to Renewing Your Mind. He says that life is to be lived coram Deo, before the face of God. And you see, that's what difficulties can do to us. We need to be reminded that we don't have a God-free zone in our lives. Where God is not watching us. And just as much so, where God is not protecting us. Where God is not encouraging us. Where God is not with us. When you get off the elevator, God does not stay in the lobby. He doesn't. And we are tempted to act that way. What Peter says is, live your life at work mindful of the Lord and what He has done for you, and what He will do for you. Because in the final analysis, we need to be reminded, especially at work, because you know as well as I do, if you work in an office, you get off the elevator, you walk in the door, you turn on your computer, there's 15 emails, you're answering stuff, the phone rings, someone comes in, they've got a question, you've got a deadline, you don't even have time to think. Right? Or maybe you're traveling. You're in three cities in four days and you're all over the place. Or maybe the place in which you work is in the home. And there's stuff on the stove and the kids want this and the phone rings and your husband says, where's my tie? And It's easy to get blinders on and push out God. But you see, God wants us to see Him and He wants us to know that our hope in life is Him, not our job. You can lose your job tomorrow, and you haven't lost hope. You can get a job that's twice as good with three times the pay tomorrow. And that's not your hope. Now, we are called to be wise about work. And trusting in the Lord is trusting in Him to provide for us in jobs and in work. But we always need to remember that our only hope is in the Lord, not in our employment. So what does all this mean? If we're to obey in a gospel way, if we're to have gospel obedience and to take a gospel responsibility so that a gospel vision that we have goes throughout Katy and Houston and Texas, what does this mean? It means that being a Christian is not a job or a task. If you think it is, you need to repent. If you think that you can be a Christian simply by showing up at church and having a nice leather-bound Bible, and you don't need to believe in the Lord at work or at home or in your marriage, you need to repent. You need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you need to make Him the Lord over every portion of your life. Because He is Lord over every portion of your life. Jesus does not pick and choose And the second thing is being a Christian changes who we are. It makes us better husbands, better wives, better children, better employers, better employees. 
It changes every fiber in our being. It makes us, being a Christian, makes us new creations in Christ. And that new creation is true in our homes, it's true in our public life with government, and it's also true at work. Praise be to God that He did not undertake part of the task of redeeming us, but that He redeems the whole person, that we might give glory and honor to God in every aspect of our lives. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we thank You that You have indeed blessed us with Your Word, even the challenges that come from Your Word, challenges to obey. And we pray, Lord, that You would help us to honor You, that we might seek to obey You in our homes and outside. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.